Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is going to continue a message he began two weeks ago entitled, Work Out Your Own Salvation. But before we get to that, let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas at 1030 on Sunday mornings. Now, we also have a Bible study time that begins at 930, is age graded for our kids and students, as well as we have a men's class, a women's class, and a mixed class, and a young adult class. We would love to have you join us for those times of study as we look at God's Word. If you have any questions, contact us through our email, info at calvaryfayetteville.com, or just look up some information, either on Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter, or go to our website, calvaryfayetteville.com. Again, Pastor Kirk is continuing a message from the book of Philippians. He's looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, and 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's listen together. This uh, passage in the book of Philippians is kind of a jumping off place for us. Uh, As you know, we are making our way, slowly it seems, uh, through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we are about to finish up chapter 2 in the next week or so, and then we'll be about halfway through and continue uh, on from there. Uh, But we're taking a little side road because of uh, what I believe to be maybe what sometimes is a confusing statement, uh, but such an important statement to understand. And it has to do with Philippians chapter 2, Uh, verses 12 and 13. This is where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God for it indeed. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He did not uh, tell us in this imperative, this command, to work on your own salvation, to work through your own salvation, but he told us to work out our own salvation. In no way is Paul suggesting that you play a significant part in the salvation of your soul. As has been said so often, the only thing we bring to the table in salvation is the sin that made it necessary. God is the Savior. It's not that he does his part and now we have to do our part. Salvation begins and ends in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all of the Lord. Even the faith 
that we offer up in our belief of the gospel and putting our trust in him. Even that faith is not something that sinful man can create or conjure up in any way. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that that faith is God's gift to us. So that moment you were saved, that you put your faith in the Lord, that you were born again, understand, you were giving back to God the gift that he had, he had given you in a supernatural endowment. He gave you faith. He called you to himself. He created in you the desire to know him. In our flesh, none of us would seek him. None of us could find him. None of us desired him only as a result of his regenerating work in us did those things become possible. Salvation is all of him. Okay, now we've talked about the fact that salvation can be viewed in, in three tenses. There is the past tense of salvation. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. When you were born again, no longer was hell your, in your future. No longer were you responsible to pay for your sins in an eternity separated from God. All that was taken care of. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. You're now on your way to heaven. But day by day, there is a present tense of salvation. We are being saved from the controlling power of sin over our lives. Even though we were saved, it doesn't mean the battle is over. Now we are uh, learning how to walk in Christ, to grow in Christ. We're experiencing sanctification as we grow into Christ's likeness. And this is where the working out of your own salvation with fear and trembling takes place. Okay? It's working out what God has worked in. God changed your heart God came to dwell inside you. God made you clean. God made you pure. God made you justified. But now it's working out that change in daily repentance, in daily faith, in daily obedience to the Lord so that the outward man of our lives manifests to others what is true on the inside of our life. If all you have to offer your lost family member and friends is a testimony that you once sometime in the past gave your life to Jesus, but that's not being borne out in the way you live, in the way that you follow and walk with Christ, understand you are doing more that is against and discourages the gospel of Christ than what advances the cause of Christ. Okay, we need to work out what God has worked in. That's the present tense of salvation. We are being saved from the controlling power of sin. And one day there is a future salvation. We will be saved from the very presence of sin. At the moment of our death, when we are delivered from this body and from this sinful world, or at the moment that Christ returns and snatches us away and calls us home, at that moment, no longer will we even be in the presence of sin. We will experience total and complete salvation from sin's penalty, sin's power, and sin's presence. Does that make sense? And all God's people said, 
Thank you for that. So we're talking about working out our own salvation. And so we're taking a side journey away from Philippians over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, that should be about number page, I think, 1018, if you're reading out of one of the Pew Bibles. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about this working out of our own salvation. He describes it in its, in its full beauty, in its value, in its necessity. Maybe this is the definitive passage in all of God's Word about what sanctification and growing in Christ's likeness looks like. God's expectation of it in us, God's empowering of us, Peter just kind of touches all the bases about what it means to grow in Christ's likeness and why it is imperative for you and me to give ourselves diligently to that journey and to that walk. So let's read from 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pause for just a minute to give emphasis to that statement. To those who have obtained, past tense, obtained a faith of equal standing, a common salvation. It's not that the apostles had some kind of super conversion, that Peter had some kind of super endowment, that Paul had some kind of super giftedness that you and I don't have is just plain old everyday ordinary Christians. He's writing to all believers, and all believers have received, have obtained a faith of equal standing even with the apostles. Now that alone is amazing, is it not? You think about how God used Peter, how God used Paul, and I think about how God wants to use you and me, and he will use us in just as many supernatural ways as we live supernatural lives as the people of God, just like Paul was appealing to the church at Philippi, to do. Verse 2, may grace and peace, always in that order, grace comes first, then comes peace, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's the first of three times he's going to talk about the knowledge of our Lord. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge 
and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks be to God for it. Two weeks ago, uh, I began this message. That's why some of this is sounding very familiar to you. And I shared with you two points uh, from the outline of this passage. I'll briefly mention those again, and we'll get on to number three. First of all, Peter tells us about the provision. The provision. God has already provided everything you need in order to live a Christ-like life. It's not a matter that you've got to plead and bargain with God to give you something he's not already made possible and made available to you. Notice the words, verse 3. His divine power, God's power, has granted, past tense, granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. How does it come to us? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which, there it is again, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. All of the promises of God to his people are already yours as a child of God. Now, why didn't you just absolutely, because you couldn't control yourself, just leap to your feet, throw your hands in the air, and say, Did you hear that? If you had won that billion-dollar lottery, as that person down in Florida did week before last, You'd be telling all your friends. You would be on cloud nine or whatever is above that. And yet the God of all glory, the creator of the universe, has granted to you things that are so much beyond anything this world will ever offer you. <sighs> yeah, I've heard all that before. Your mind is on school tomorrow. It's on work tomorrow. You're more concerned with getting your school supplies and your school clothes and getting ready for work 
Some of you parents are already dreading the increased traffic so bad, it's robbing you and sapping you of so much joy, and God has given you everything that pertains to you becoming like Jesus Christ in this world. The potential is already there. It's available to us. God has already provided it. Point number two, the purpose. He tells us the purpose of this in the second part of verse 4. Why has he already granted to us these great and precious promises? So that through them, through his provision and his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We live in a corrupt and a decaying world. And if you're not aware of that, you're just absolutely blinded by the enemy. This world is in disarray. It is in decay. We are getting worse and worse and worse every day. And we are facing in this world God's judgment. And as one evangelist has said, if God doesn't judge and punish our world, if he doesn't judge and punish America for her sins, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. It's just the truth. We're living in a world of decay. We're living in a world of evil and wicked desires. And guess what? It creeps into your life and into mine. It does. Through the entertainment that we will watch or read or participate, things that used to make Christians blush, that used to cause God's people to turn away in disgust, now we find humor in it all. Sinful desires affect us. And we still struggle with the old flesh. That's why sanctification, that's why growing in Christ is so necessary. That's why we say that we are being saved, present tense, from the controlling power of sin. It's a day-by-day struggle. The Apostle Paul himself said, Romans chapter 7, we've mentioned it many times before, he cries out seemingly in despair, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And then he remembers, and then he thanks God, who daily gives him the victory. Every day, Paul had to claim these precious promises anew from God. God has provided them so that we can be actual partakers in this life of the divine nature of God, the perfect nature of God, that we too can, can demonstrate the attributes of God at work in our lives. That's why we're called Christians. Remember, that was a derogatory term, an insult. These people are like little Christs, Christians. That's what we are. It means that we should look like Christ, growing in Christ's likeness. That's the purpose. Now, let's move to the process. 
How does it happen in our lives? How do we grow in grace? How do we mature, as Paul told the Ephesians, to the full stature of Christ? As he told the Romans, to the image of Christ, that we would be conformed to that. How does this process take place? Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. For this very reason, for this reason, because God has already made it possible, he's already made it as a possession we can claim, something we can partake in. For this very reason, make every effort, not a half-hearted effort, not an every now and then effort. Make it your number one priority in life. Make it your number one goal. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection or brotherly kindness. And brotherly affection with love. These are character qualities that need to mark our lives. We need to grow in these. It is not a one-time thing. It's not a second work of grace, as our charismatic friends tell us, that, that there's a moment of conversion, and then there's another moment that you can basically achieve perfection. It's an instantaneous thing. It's not anything like that. It is a process God gives to us a somewhat of a plan here. Now, it's not like, like enrolling in classes, uh, Caitlin, at the university that you have selected for you as a new student, uh, a new college student. You have a course of study that over the next four years to achieve that degree, you're going to take these classes, you're going to do them in this order, and you're going to progress. Yes, these things do have an order to them. They do build on one another, but it's not something so tangible and so defined that you can check it off on a checklist. These are character qualities, and it's less about how to as much as it's about what it looks like and how it's going to form in your life. And the process is going to be slow. You're going to take sometimes one step forward and two steps backwards. But ultimately, if you, if, if you keep moving forward and, and even when you fall, fall forward and get up, dust yourself off and keep moving forward. You make progress over time and your life is changed in more ways than you can see in yourself. Did you hear me? The moment that you get to the place that you look in the mirror and say, my, I'm really making progress in my Christian life, you're in trouble. Usually someone has to point it out to you. Sometimes it comes as a revelation of the Spirit that guess what? I'm not struggling like I used to with that same old sin that used to control me. It's a painful, it's a slow process. But we have a command, make every effort with diligence and earnestness to supplement. That means to supply further. To, in the Greek it would say to super add 
to your faith. Now notice this. Notice, he did not say that you have to add the faith. God gave you the faith. Remember, it's salvation. God gave you the faith. Now, most people think, because I've expressed that faith, and I've been born again, and I've been saved, I remember walking the aisle, I remember praying a prayer, I remember all this stuff. Understand, most people think that's all there is to it. Now, live life the way I want to live it. Understand, a new birth is exactly that. It is a new birth. And you know what a baby is. A baby is a digestive apparatus that makes loud noises on one end and shows absolutely no responsibility on the other. And guess what? Many people who have been saved for a lot of years are still those same babes in the Lord. Still making loud noises on one end and showing very little responsibility on the other. We are born in order to grow. In order to grow. So we supplement. We added nothing to our salvation, but guess what? Once we've experienced the new birth, now with Christ living in us and working in us, there is now something that we can do. Our work now has meaning. When we tried to work for salvation, we were rejecting Christ's righteousness. It got us nowhere. But Paul says, now that you know Christ, now work out your own salvation. For it is Christ, the sovereign supplier of your needs. It is Christ who works in you both to give you the will to do it and to give you the empowering so that you can do it. Okay? If you don't have any will to grow in the Lord, you need to re-examine whether or not you truly know Him at all. Christ works in you giving you the will and the ability to add some things. Well, to add what? To add virtue. Virtue, that's a hard word to define. It really is. From the Greek language, it's a very difficult word to find an English word that would be a, the right counterpart. But basically, it's the idea of character, of strength. It's not something that is passive. It sounds passive. To be virtuous sounds like a, a passive thing, but it's not. It, is a, it requires great energy and boldness. I believe virtue here, as we're talking about character and strength, one of the things that's necessary is we are learning to walk in a daily relationship with Christ. We recognize His presence in our lives. We learn how to deal and, and keep uh, short accounts with our sin, that we experience daily confession and repentance and forgiveness. It's, it's learning to walk with the Lord and, and it discovering this life of Christ inside of us. Now, as we do that, he says, now supplement it even further. Add knowledge. Knowledge. Not worldly knowledge. We have to learn those things in order to to get our degrees in order to succeed in our earthly work, our, uh, our careers. But we're talking here about a knowledge of high character. 
a knowledge of, uh, we're talking about Christian enlightenment. We're talking about learning the truth of this book right here. This is our text. So knowledge is going in. Now let me, let me take just a side moment and, and, and risk a couple of minutes to answer something that always has bewildered you if you have been a Christian for very long. Why is it that some of the people in church who have been saved the longest, who know the Bible the best, meaning they can quote it backwards and forwards, as my grandpa used to say, from kiver to kiver. They know the Bible, they can spout the Bible, but some of those people are some of the meanest people you've ever met. Oh, you say you haven't met a mean Christian? You had not been around church very long. Some of the meanest people in church are the people who know the Bible the best. Why is that? How can that be? That they can know it, they can quote it, they can stand up and teach it, but they just don't live it and their attitudes are awful and they can be gossips and they can undermine people, they can be critical spirited. Why is that? It's because they skipped virtue and went straight to knowledge. They've got a head full of knowledge, but they don't have a heart full of character, of knowing how to walk with God and how to love people the way God does. And when you don't grow in virtue, in character, and in internal spiritual strength, the life of Christ growing stronger in you, then you pile a bunch of knowledge on top of that, and it's knowledge without wisdom, and that always puffs up and fills a person with pride, which is the entry sin for all other sins, and makes them arrogant, and makes them just awful people. So, that explanation, now you know. All right, we supplement our, this God-given faith with virtue and with knowledge, with self-control. That's self-restraint, learning discipline, learning how to say no to ourselves and things we need to say no to, learning how to say yes to the things we need to say yes to. And after self-control, we need to also be sure that we're seeing uh, growth in steadfastness. That's patient endurance. That's persevering. That's enduring hardship and suffering. And again, let me tell you, if you skip virtue and you skip knowledge and you skip these others, you'll never have steadfastness because you're going to experience suffering in this life. You're going to experience hardship in this life and you're not going to learn from it. You're not going to have patient endurance. You're not going to persevere. Just as soon as the going gets tough, you bail. And people do that to the Lord and the church all the time. All the time. So we grow in steadfastness. And we grow with goodness. That goodness basically means reverent devotion. Reverent devotion. That's what it means to be a good person. And that with brotherly affection. That's love for Christian brothers and sisters. Guess what? You will never be like Christ 
without learning to love those very unlovable people, some of them may be sitting on the very pew with you right now. Learning to love one another. Learning to have affection for one another, even as Christ does. And then finally, finally, as we grow in these graces and these qualities, as this process takes place over time, we come to the place that we discover what real love is. This is agape love. This is the kind of love that defines who God is, for God is love. It is selfless. It gives itself away for others. We learn to love Christ and others the way Christ loved us. Now notice that this whole process begins with God-given faith, and it ends up with a godly love. And it is God who empowers that and causes that to happen in your lives. But you have to make an earnest effort to participate and to contribute and to let God work out what he has worked in. Now, here's the key truth that you need to understand. There are three primary things God uses to grow you in those Christ-like character qualities. Three fundamental things. We've already mentioned one of them. It is the Word of God. You've got to live in the Word of God. You need to spend some time in it every single day. You need to read it. You need to absorb it. Yes, most of it, especially in the Old Testament, is going to be hard to grasp. It's going to be hard to understand. But over a process of time, God will reveal himself to you. This is how he speaks to you. There is no growth without this. Number two, God uses the church. And I'm not talking about the church universal in the world. I'm talking about the church with skin on. I'm talking about the local body of Christ, a local congregation. You cannot grow into Christ's likeness, living life as some kind of independent agent as a child of God. You're not a free agent. You're not out there for whoever bids the most for your services. If you are, then you are mistaken what it means to be a Christian. But rather, it is you selflessly devoting yourself to a local congregation of imperfect people. For there is no perfect church. There is no place that you need to find where you can get lost in the crowd. You need to be a part of the church and participating because this is where true fellowship takes place. This is where the one another commands, all 26 or 28 of them in the New Testament, take place. And then third, God uses life experiences. Life experiences. Most often, your spiritual growth is going to come through painful life experiences. I doubt very seriously any great victory in your life any great pleasurable experience, experience has ever gotten you one inch to being closer to being Christ-like. But it's been the painful experiences. It's been the losses. It's been the failures. It's been those things 
As Job said, what I greatly feared has come upon me. But Job's testimony was this, at the end of all of his incredible hardship. At the last chapter of the book of Job, he says, Before all of this pain, God, I had only heard of you. Now keep in mind, he worshiped God daily. He offered sacrifices for his family. He walked with God. He was a godly man, but he said before all of this pain, it was as though I had only heard of you. But now after all of this, Lord, I can see you like I've never seen you before. And the Bible tells us that the end of Job's life was even better than the first. That is what growing in Christ's likeness does and how it happens through the word, through the church, through life experiences. Now, again, let me say to you, you're going to have those painful experiences whether you care a flip about following Christ or not. Bad things are going to happen. But if you're not walking in the word, and if you're not committed to a local church of people who's praying for you, who's living life and doing life with you, when the hardship comes, you are going to grow bitter, not better. You're going to grow resentful, not thankful. You're going to turn your back on God, not keep moving towards Him. Why? Because you will have no foundation, no basis for which to understand and to interpret and to grow through and victorious in even the painful experiences of the life. You've got, of life. You've got to have the Word and you've got to have the church to do that. Now in your worship guide today, there should have been an insert. And we could spend a whole morning on that, but we're not going to. But I want to suggest to you that while there's not a specific plan that you can check off in your spiritual growth in this process of Christ-likeness, there are some disciplines, some disciplines that you can give yourself to that will cause these things to happen in your life. Six areas where you need to self-evaluate. First of all, grace. Have you experienced God's grace? Have you truly been born again? That sometime in the past where you were saved from the penalty of sin. Where do you stand with God? You need to survey your life and mark on that sheet where you are. But from grace, what about growth? Are you in some kind of Bible study and are you growing in the Word? Besides Sunday morning worship, every one of you need to be in some kind of smaller group Bible study, a Sunday school class, a Wednesday night Bible study. Faithful men, faithful women, one or more of these, you need those growth times with other people in the Word. Groups. Are you in a life group? This is where the life of the body gets fleshed out and lived out? Are you in some kind of small group where you can be accountable to and with other people? Giving. Are you consistent giver of your tithes and your offerings? Understand that tells you where your heart is. If, if you are not giving of your treasure generously to the Lord, 
your heart is not right with God. That's just what Jesus had to say in um, the book of Luke and also, and also Matthew. Are you giving faithfully? Gifts. God has given you spiritual gifts. Are you using those in ministering to others? Not this Wednesday, but in Wednesday week. We're going to start a brand new Wednesday night Bible study on spiritual gifts. If you're a saved person, you have a gift or gifts. Do you know what they are? Are you allowing God to use you through those gifts to serve the body of Christ? That's his plan for your life. And number six, going. Going. This means are you on mission to make an impact for Christ in this world? You are an ambassador for Christ. Remember the church at Philippi was a Roman colony? Remember we talked about that uh, the first few Sundays in our study of uh, Philippians? And as a Roman colony, they were like little Rome. They, they were one of the most Roman cities you could be without actually being Rome. And they took great pride in that. We represent Rome. Likewise, in that city, you had Christians who were being persecuted that said, well, guess what? We represent the one to whom Rome bows. We are ambassadors for Christ. We serve a kingdom as well, an eternal kingdom. Are you on mission? Do you see yourself when you go to work, when you go to school, when you drive down the streets of whatever town you live in here in northwest Arkansas? I am a representative of God in this world. God, help me to represent you faithfully. Well, that's just a self-evaluation. Very quickly, let me mention something else to you. There is a priority in this passage, a priority. This is how important it is, verse 8 and 9. Now listen, because this is revealing. For if these qualities are yours and they are increasing, if you're growing in grace, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Do you get what he's saying here? If these qualities are yours and you're growing in the Lord, you will not be ineffective or unfruitful. The Bible says we are to bear fruit for Christ. Psalm 1, John 15, other places. To produce fruit we have to be growing in grace into Christ's likeness. But guess what? Whoever lacks those things is ineffective and unfruitful. In other words, they are barren. They are barren. A tree that just for some reason does not bear fruit. Many years ago, early in my ministry, I worked for a man in Washington State that had a vast orchard of different fruits. And from time to time, whether it was a cherry tree, a peach tree, an apple tree, a pear tree, from time to time you would encounter a tree that did not bear fruit one season. And so you gave it special attention, and you gave it a little more time. But if the second season rolled around and it still did not bear fruit, what did you do? You cut it down. You cut it down. Why? It's taking up resources. It's taking up space. God's plan is for us to be not barren, but for us to be fruitful 
and effective in the knowledge of the Lord. But not only barren, it's, this is important because the person who lacks these things also is blind. That's what he said in verse 9. That person is so nearsighted that he's blind. It's a saved person, saved from his old sins. Perhaps it was real, but not growing in grace. And he's just blundering around as a blind person that cannot interpret life or life's experiences or even the Word of God in a way that's meaningful and wondering, I thought the Christian life was supposed to be different than this. But there's no diligence to grow. And so that person becomes blind. And what do they become blind to? The second part of verse 9 says, having forgotten, being oblivious to the fact that he was cleansed from his former sins. For many years, even after I surrendered to the ministry, I struggled with doubting my salvation. Have you ever done that? I think maybe every Christian does from time to time, but it, was, it plagued me. It plagued me. I really did struggle. And I discovered this passage. And I came to realize, when did those doubts assail me? They came in like a flood when I was not growing or walking or living a life of seeking to be Christ-like and to grow in grace. When I was following what Peter is saying here, and it was a priority in my life, there were no doubts and fears. And understand, you know where assurance of salvation is supposed to come from? Now listen to me, because some of you need to hear this. You don't know this. You've never heard this. And it's going to be something you're going to have to struggle with to come to the understanding. Your assurance of your relationship with Christ is never intended to come from looking back over your shoulder and trying to remember or even reproduce or recreate your salvation experience. That's not where assurance is. I don't care how much you remember what you felt like as much of a blessing and as comforting as that can be sometimes, understand distant memories are not trustworthy. We misremember a lot of things in life. Your assurance is not remembering a past experience. True assurance is understanding and interpreting a life being lived right now. Are you walking with Christ? Are you becoming more like Him? Do you have the will, the desire to grow in the Lord? You see, this person is not only barren and blind, but this person is bewildered, just totally confused forgetting that he was ever purchased, that he was ever cleansed from his former sins. Now let me close with verses 10 and 11. This is the promise. This is what God promises you and me. Therefore, 
because of all of that, I want to say this. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. That means eager to confirm your calling. What is your calling? It is your invitation to the privileges of the gospel. Your call to salvation. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. What is the election? It is your election to the privileges of divine grace that God in His grace elected you. For if you practice these qualities, guess what? You will never fall. You will never fall. You will never come to ruin. You will never be like those two men Paul mentioned when he wrote his first letter to Timothy, Hymenaeus and Alexander, where he says there are those who have made shipwreck of their faith. Like Hymenaeus and Alexander. On another occasion he said, there's another one who made shipwreck of his faith. He's come to ruin. His name is Demas. He has forsaken the gospel and forsaken the ministry of the gospel. He says if you're growing in grace, guess what? You're never going to fall. It doesn't mean you're never going to stumble. It doesn't mean you're ever going to experience a shortcoming, a failure. You're going to slip and commit a sin. It means you will never fall so much so as to be lost to the cause of Christ. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, what's the positive side? For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance, admission into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will not only have a home in heaven, you'll not only one day experience its glory, but it will be offered to you a rich welcome as heaven opens its arms to welcome you home. Why? Because growing in grace, becoming more like Christ, is what it means to truly know Christ beyond any shadow of a doubt. We'll skip that last slide, Caitlin. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you that your manifold grace has not only provided salvation from the penalty of sin, but also salvation from its power, someday also from its presence. Father, ignite a fire and a desire and a thirst within us to become like your son Jesus more every single day. Help us, Father, to see what Peter was writing about so that we can do what Paul was writing about when he told us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. 
We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.